My title, intriguingly, is A Taste of Eden. I'm turning to Acts chapter 2, reading the first 13 verses. And I hope that this will be an introduction, a, a launching pad into a new perspective of the spiritual realm. What is God up to? Day of Pentecost, we know what it's all about. Pente, 50 days, 49 to be precise, after the resurrection. We have the day of Pentecost. And that's where we, as a family of churches, get our name. We say we're Pentecostals. Why? Because... We think something happened on the day of Pentecost, which is still fresh today. The Holy Spirit came. He came to stay. Jesus said he's going to abide. He's going to remain with you. And he is the living personal contact with the Father and the Son. And the very next thing that the Holy Spirit will do when the time is right will introduce us when Christ comes again. We're going to see Jesus face to face. This is the story, and I'm going to dig into it today, just a little bit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes. Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. Taste of Eden. Paradise. What is paradise to you? What would you consider to be paradise? For me, It's a mango tree. (laughs) 
I could take you to the very place. I could take you to the very tree. I won't tell you exactly where it is. It could be West Africa. It could be East Africa. It could be Brazil, the mangoes in Brazil. It could even be the Philippines. After I've been to the Philippines, they have a mango, the mother of all mangoes. But paradise for me is sitting under that mango tree, reaching out and taking the gift of God, the fruit that must come from heaven itself, and not handing it over to somebody from MasterChef who can carve it up neatly so you don't spill a drop. I like to tear away the skin and with both hands, African style, <laughs> eat that mango until I have a baptism <laughs> of mango juice. Now, really, it's not the mango. It is for me, but I, I love mangoes. You may be allergic to them, but I'll pray for you later. <laughs> it, it's just so much like a blessing from God. It's so beautiful that you know this, this comes from somewhere. This is like a reminder in this little piece of earthly goodness of the wonderful, abundant, and provision of God. And because of that, it is in that experience, which I described, not the mango, but the presence of God. Now, your idea of paradise might be different from mine, but I tell you, if it really is any form of paradise, God will be there. That's what Eden was all about. Did you know that? Eden, the paradise of God, the garden of God, it was what it was because God's presence was there. It was not the luscious garden with streams and rivers, delicious fruit and friendly animals. It was not just Adam and Eve living in perfect harmony. Darling, you heard 40 years of marriage today. But I imagine Eve sitting under the mango tree or whatever it was, brushing her hair and Adam gently tilling the, the ground. And the two coming together, no doubt, for lemon tea, cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> now, some of these things might be a kind of fair picture. I don't, I don't know, but... What I do know is that none of that was the real glory of the place. The real life and beauty in the garden was God's presence. It was more than a garden. It was the dwelling place of God. Eden, which God planted, was his official earthly place of residence. Such that between Eden and heaven, there was no barrier. There was an open barrier, an open heaven. Heaven touched the earth. 
at a place called Eden. Now we know Adam and Eve had company. There was someone else there. The Nakash. The snake. Now, when you look at the story, you realize that this was no ordinary snake. This was not just a beast of the field. Because in the Bible, or outside the Bible, snakes don't talk. So don't worry about that question. How can a snake talk, mommy? Well, you see, there was a snake, yea, then more than a snake. When you look at this and you see what is happening, it doesn't take much time before you realize that this is no ordinary snake. This is a supernatural being. And if heaven and earth met together in Eden, it shouldn't be surprising that supernatural beings may have also been present. Oh, we know at least one. And when we begin to examine this, we, we realize that in the culture of the day, gardens as dwelling places of divinities were not uncommon in cultural ideas. And also that there, there were in the culture different ways of expressing this, but there were kind of serpentine creatures that were throne guardians. And it seems that the Bible takes this imagery and saying, yes, God's throne is in Eden. It was not just a place of residence. It was a place of government. It was a place of glory. And God was there. His throne was there. And so we could probably, with a little bit of, uh, of uh, accuracy, consider this to be one of the creatures of God, heavenly creatures of God, serpentine, not in a negative sense, but just that was the way it was. But when we look closely, we see that this heavenly being in the form of the Nakash, the serpent, is, 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 is up to something. We see a being in rebellion. We'll go into this in a little more detail when we come to the fuller series, but, but there's an intention here to destroy God's plan that he recently enunciated. Fill the earth and subdue it. Go on, go on, multiply, be fruitful. Take what you have here and spread it all over the earth so the whole of the earth will be filled with earthly sons and daughters surrendered to him, full of his presence, and the whole earth will become a holy temple unto God. That was the plan. Now, for some reason, this Creature said, no way, and enters in. And we find just not the fall of Adam and Eve, but the fall of the serpent as well. And the serpent is cursed, and, uh, and Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, but it's not game over because of the merciful God. And we know that the promise came that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. But God began again, so to speak, and, and the earth became populated. And, and then 
just about the time of the flood in Noah's day, we read that the whole earth had become corrupted. How that happened, we will examine at another time. But, but it was so, so serious that the Bible says God regretted having created human beings in the first place. But he didn't give up on his plan. He said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to start again. And he washed it all away. Uh, and then he said to Noah and his family, go on, now you be fruitful. You multiply, go on, go on. You pick up the plan. And they did for a while, but there came a moment when all the nations who spoke one language got together in one place and they said, we are now going to take over. We are going to now build a building so high that will reach up to heaven and we will invoke heaven and we will bring heaven down to earth our own way and we won't ask any question who's coming down. God said, oh, no, no, no. This is my plan. It'll be done my way. And so he said, right, what we've got to do is this. I'm going to confuse your languages. Not one language, but everybody spoke in their own language. And God then allotted the nations to various territories around the world in a way of saying, right, okay, you guys, you get what you've chosen, but I am going to start again. And he said, I'm going to cho choose one man, Abraham. And out of that, we have all the nations and then one special nation. God began his plan again. Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You, Israel, shall be a light to the nations. He hadn't given up on the rest of the world, but this was the outworking of his plan at that time in that way. And, and in the middle of this, he showed himself with fire on the mountain of Sinai. He showed himself with fire and his Shekinah glory in the tabernacle, in the temple. And there in the Holy of Holies, God came down. It was the resting place of the soles of the feet of the God of Israel. Another kind of Eden. And if you look in the temple, you see all kinds of flowers and trees and fruits. God is saying, I've not given up on my plan for Eden. And the Eden project continues. And anyway, fast forward, uh, Israel grows and Israel rebels and Israel and Judah, they're sent into exile and God brings them back. But it was not a perfect reconciliation. And God says, there is still yet something else that must happen. The word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only of the father, full of grace and truth. And so in Jesus we find the supreme point of connection. Never since Eden had there been such a manifestation of God's presence, this time not in a garden, but localized in the incarnate God himself in the person of Jesus. Now, Jesus, I'm destroy this temple. What temple is he talking about? His body. He was the temple of the Lord and he was bringing a, a whole new community so that out of that community there would be a holy temple.
temple unto the Lord and carry his presence on the earth. But we know, third day Jesus rose again. He appeared on the earth for another 40 days or so. And then he ascended to heaven. Jesus no longer present on the planet. And that has not altered. From that day to this, he's not here physically. He's at the right hand of the Father. But there, having received the promised Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the next stage of the plan of God's Eden project takes place. God himself comes down at Pentecost and he's not visiting. It is not a holy visitation. It is a holy permanent habitation. He's not going back. He's here to stay. So we got all of that. Now we know that the coming of the Holy Spirit is not the end of the Eden Project. It's the current stage of the Eden Project. Eden Project is going to continue and continue and it will climax in the new heavens and the new earth when the new Jerusalem, the holy garden city, will be manifested on this earth. There will be no temple there because God will be there. And this is the consummation of the ages. God says, I will dwell among them. I will make my habitation with humanity forever. And at that time, the heavenly and the earthly will be reunited and the Eden project will have reached its fulfillment but with aeons and aeons and aeons and generations and generations and years and years and years of glorious outworking of what God will do through your life and my life when we get to heaven. We're not going to be sitting on clouds playing harps. We will do that, I suppose. But we, were, we are going to be his ambassadors. We are going to judge angels. We are going to do all the stuff that God has ready for us to do. So get ready because you're in training for reigning. I want to focus in on that day, the day of Pentecost, which I'm calling a taste of Eden. Taste because it's not the full thing yet. It is a foretaste of heaven itself. Three things about this. First of all, it was all about God's presence. I'm not just talking about his everywhere presence or his here, there, another place presence. It is about God manifesting his presence and choosing to live in us, with us, and amongst us. That's his plan. Now, it's very clear that it was God who came down on the day of Pentecost. It's very, very clear, particularly to anybody that has read the Old Testament, because the reference to the rushing mighty wind 
and the flames of fire. All of these are evocative of the moments in Old Testament history when God showed up, when God manifested his presence. And here we have the presence of God coming as the Holy Spirit. This tells us that God is not just Father, not just Father and Son, but God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is as fully God as Jesus is fully God, and the Father is fully God. So, well, that's just complicated. No, it's not. You go back to the Old Testament, you find that there are so many references where Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, appears uh, and then there is a second angel of the Lord who is also Yahweh. And Yahweh talks to Yahweh. There are two persons, one God. And a little more uh, sparingly, there are some examples where you can be very clear that the Holy Spirit is also Yahweh talking to Yahweh. We have Father, Son and Holy Spirit right there in the Old Testament. Not in a fully developed understanding as we get to the New Testament. Yes, of course not. But he is there. And it is God in the third person, the Holy Spirit, who came down at Pentecost. Not some influence or force or lesser, lesser kind of manifestation. God himself came. Because the greatest gift of all, the greatest gift that God will give you, in fact, the only promise of God to his people, and he can do no better than this, is the promise of himself and the promise of his presence. Amen. Do you know that your presence is the greatest gift you could offer anybody else? Forty years of marriage, I want to testify. It's not, it's probably blatantly obvious but for 40 years Amanda has been there with me she's been there that's the greatest gift of love could ever offer I'm not talking about just being physically present maybe you are here today physically present but absent in mind if that's you, come back, come back. <laughs> I feel for you, but come back. And you know, you can be with somebody and, and they're there, but they're not really there. You know, the lights may be on, but nobody's home. That's very superficial relationship. Yes, dear. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yes. I sold the house. Yes, dear. Mm. Yes. I robbed a bank. Oh, yes, dear. Yes. You're there, but you're not listening. The greatest gift you can offer to somebody is your presence. I don't know if you know people like this. Some people seem to have the gift of presence. We should try and develop it. That when you're talking to them, they're not thinking about somebody else. You're talking to them, they're not going on the mobile phone. Oh, yeah. They're not looking around like a meerkat to see who else, is, who else they'd rather be talking to. They talk to you and behave not only as if you're the only person in the room, but the only person in the world. 
That's how God manifests his presence to you. You, when he's present, are the most important person. It was as if nobody else existed. His presence is that personal. But of course, the amazing thing with God is he can be personal and present with you and you and you and all of us at the same time. In the study of human psychology, there are whole systems of psychology and counseling based on this one concept. One person being fully present and focused on another person. And they say it's that that itself is the therapy for so many people. Your presence can be a healing presence just by attending, being fully focused. And that's the, that's the level of fellowship we want with one another, and which we crave for from God himself. Presence. This presence is paramount because the fundamental of the Eden project is relationship. It is a relational revelation. God's nature, as he reveals himself, is relational. Father, Son, and Spirit. Then he created the heavenly host. And the heavenly host and the, the, the morning stars sang as God brought forth the rest of creation. They were witnesses to everything. Oh, there's so much here about relationship. And, and he created us as humans to be in relationship with him. He calls us sons and daughters. We are his sons. We are his children. That's family. That's relationship. It's nothing to do with religion. It's a living relationship. And the Holy Spirit is there characteristically for relational purposes. The love of God. The grace of Jesus. And the fellowship the relationship of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. you got to get to know Mr. Holy Spirit. you got to get He's a person. He has feelings. He has thoughts. He has plans. Uh, and he wants to share them with you. He's a person. And he is the living personal contact we have with Jesus. He brings the spiritual presence of Jesus to us. Jesus' body is in heaven. But his spirit is here. That's how we know him. And the Holy Spirit's ministry is to spotlight Jesus. To say, oh, come on, look at him. Isn't he amazing? And you fall in love. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over again. That's a song, but I won't sing it. Maybe Simon will rescue me at the end of the service when we get to singing. Oh, it's so wonderful. Relational theology. The reality of a relational God. And you know what? I've discovered, you know, I am working so hard. I love being at home here with you. I love it. 
Thank you. I, I love it. And the, the days are coming when you're going to release me. You're going to send me out. Simon is here to stay, but I'm going to be released by you into something wider. And it's begun now. I spend as much time as I can getting to know people, young people especially, who don't know God as such. They're so thirsty for him and everything they cry out for. I just kind of want to say, look, here, here. What you're looking for is here, here. But they think, don't bring that book out. They're not interested. They don't know where the answers lie. But they're longing for relationship, loneliness, loneliness. Young people who are cut off from family, who are empty because of negative experiences in their lives. Who've grown up without understanding that they are valued. And God wants to take them and hug them and say, I value you. And when the spirit comes upon you, it's the spirit of adoption. It's the same spirit that was upon Jesus and came upon Jesus having heard the declaration from heaven. You are my beloved son. I delight in you. The Holy Spirit is the revelation and experience of God's delight over you. If only you knew how delightful you were to him. You'd worry less about your sin and shame, but ensure that both your sin and shame would be understood to be nailed to the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ fits you perfectly for a relationship with your heavenly father in which he delights in you and you delight in him. Amen. That's Christianity. Presence. But there's more. There is a purity. A deep purity. Supernatural Purity that comes when the Spirit comes upon your life separates you unto God. Yesterday, Scott was officially ordained and separated into the Elam ministry. So now, you'll have to call him Reverend whether he behaves it or not. <laughs> but that's a, a kind of setting apart and a recognition. And when the Spirit comes on you, and God grants you, Scott, more of the Holy Ghost you've ever had in your life. Amen. But it's the Holy Spirit that separates you to God. And if he's the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're going to get it. You're, gonna un you're going to get it. What it means to be holy, to be so full of the Holy Spirit that you, you don't want anything else. You just want to say more. And so there is a purity here. And we know that whenever disciples in the book of Acts were baptized into the Holy Spirit, received the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit fell upon them. All those terms are very similar in understanding. It was an evidence that they were sons of God, daughters of the living God, the spirit of adoption. You're separated unto God. Holiness 
is not looking at sin. Hold it for whatever reason, apart from saying, I shouldn't have done it, God, help me. And you turn away from it as quickly as you can. And you look at Jesus. You pursue Christ. If you're pursuing Christ, you're leaving all that stuff behind. You can't pursue Christ by looking at your sin. It's very hard to run backwards. You turn your back on your sin and look at Jesus, pursue him. That's holiness. It's his character. It's his love being reproduced in our lives. That's what being born again is all about, receiving a new nature, a holy nature from the Holy Spirit, born of the Holy Spirit. And from that moment onwards, I'm not saying it's not a struggle. I'm not saying you don't have to make effort. But I tell you what, without the Holy Spirit, nobody can live a holy life. It's not even holy without the Holy Spirit. It's fleshly. And flesh is very polymorphous. It has many shapes. You've got religious flesh. You've got beautiful flesh. You've got ugly flesh. Don't look around right now when I talk. <laughs> but flesh is flesh. Whether it is a minister of the gospel wearing all the Roman clothes of high office in ecclesiastical position. Or whether it is a person who is the biggest scoundrel in town. It's all flesh until the spirit comes and he transforms you. The change works from the inside out. So there is presence. There is holy purity. Oh, the Holy Spirit wind of God is blowing in this place. It's not just the ventilation system. It's the Holy Spirit. I want to say something. I've said this before, but it's a good time to remind you. The move of God, it may be thin at the moment, but it's going to, and, and a bit shallow, but it's going to, we're going to go deeper and it's going to become more profound, but we're, we're in it. It might just be the outskirts, but this move of God, you are going to be amazed at the spirit of holiness that's going to be upon the people of God, not because they're self-righteous, legalistic bigots, but because they're genuinely in love with Jesus. And things that you're struggling with now, you wait. Well, don't wait. Get rid of it now. But you wait in the new move of God. You will be amazed at what victories God is going to give you over sin, over the flesh, over all the stuff. Now, I'm saying we're never going to stop struggling. There will always be a battle. But there is a new anointing that will bring you into a new level of holiness and purity. And you look back and say, what was all the argument about? This is amazing. This is wonderful. More God. I want to walk closer to you than ever before. Presence, purity. The final thing I see here is power. Now, we get it straight away. So it talks about they were enabled to speak with tongues. God gave them the ability to do that. And beyond that, we know what came from this was the ability to be witnesses for Christ, to live before a world that was far more pagan than our world today, a world that was far worse for Christians. Many of them lost their lives, far worse than today. You think Britain and Europe today? I tell you what, the first century, 
Greco-Roman world was awash with levels of wickedness, corruption, and demonic control that makes our time right now look a little less difficult than we might think. But God gave them power. It's all about enablement. And just look at the context. Now, I'll come back to this another time, but just, just for the moment, I've, I've highlighted all this in red in my notes here because there is so much here that is a reference to Babel and the backdrop is Eden because when God comes, it's about Eden and we're tasting of Eden when we taste of the Holy Spirit. But God here from the day of Pentecost is reversing what took place at the Tower of Babel. Remember God said, they're all together. They're all in, in one place. They all speak the same language. I'm going to confuse their languages so they don't understand one another. I'm going to scatter them and I'm going to allot territory for each of these nations and I'm going to turn away from them for a time so I can raise up a new nation, a nation that will be one day a light to these nations, a nation that will one day bring forth the Messiah who will be the light to all the nations of the world. Now, on the day of Pentecost, God is saying, Eden project still goes on and I am reversing Babel. And here we have a bunch of united believers all together in one place and they speak in other tongues and this time it's not a scattering it's a rejoining it's a uniting and you know what when you look at the nations that were represented here by these Jews who had lived in the diaspora in the ancient world virtually the whole territory that is described in the book of Genesis because of Babel, they are there. You begin in the east, you go further up, and you go as far west, you almost get to Spain. All the nations are mentioned here. God says, okay, here nations now, you will know that my time to take you up again, it's the time for the nations. It's the time for me to show myself as the God of all nations. And salvation may be from the Jews, but it's not only for the Jews. That's why in the name of Jesus and in the name of Jesus only is salvation. And no salvation is found in any other name. Because only in Christ has the principalities and the powers of darkness been thwarted. And the gods of the nations have been judged. And he's tearing them down. And the principalities and powers are defeated. He's disarmed them. Completely overthrown them. And we have been commissioned to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. To take the good news of the freedom and liberty and fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it all began. On the day of Pentecost. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. When I read it, I exaggerated the words of listening. Because you see, we often emphasize the words of speaking. They spoke with new tongues. And when they spoke, other people heard. The emphasis in the text is on hearing. I don't know how it worked out, but I do wonder if it's not a little like what I'm about to describe. You think about it, there are all these crowds. How could everybody hear their own language. I mean, you know, you go out in the middle of London and you hear English plus a whole lot of other languages and it's only when you're up close can you hear it. 
what they're talking. But you listen to everybody together, you know what they're talking, and you can only tell it's not English because some people are more excited and other people are more like this. But anyway, that's how you might know. But in those days, how did they know? Now, let me tell you a story. I'm not saying this is a perfect interpretation or the only way of understanding it, but I just wonder, sitting over here a number of years ago, was one of our mamas. You know what I mama? She probably was Nigerian. <laughs> and she sat there and she was in, in, in the church early. <laughs> and she's praying and she's speaking in tongues. She's praying, she's speaking in tongues. And a little while later, somebody else comes and sits not far from her, starts listening. Huh? Huh? You're from my village? No. I'm praying. Don't disturb me. No, you must be from my village. What is your village? No, I never heard of this village. But you are speaking my village dialect. No, I'm praying to Jesus. Leave me alone. No, you don't understand. I've just heard you describe my life and tell me that I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to ask you how to do that. The mama was saying, huh? Really? You're telling me? I'm just talking to Jesus. So maybe, just maybe, the miracle is not just in the talking, but the miracle is in the hearing. It might be that that's what, I don't know, but whatever it is, it was supernatural and it was a miracle and people heard the gospel and this was God saying, this is why the Spirit has come. It is not just a relational presence. It is a missional power. We're called, oh, yakabasata. We're called. I'll finish. I've got to finish because I want you to experience. More of God. More of God. This is everybody out on the platform know what my signal is here. <laughs> Tell them. <laughs> okay, you're great. So here it is. What a great book title. And I copyright it now so nobody has the right to copy it. <laughs> It's time to leave your mango tree. What what do I mean? I love those moments. And they can be hours and days and seasons. You're under the mango tree and all you are enjoying is the good things. God satisfying your mouth with good things. You are receiving. But suddenly God says, what are you doing here? There are people out there. They need you. Get away from your mango tree. Take mangoes with you. That's my advice. Take mango with you because you will need, you need to be refreshed on the journey. But there is a time for waiting and there's a time for going. And when the Spirit of God comes, He calls you to wait and also to go. Some of you need to leave your mango tree. And understand that the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit is not just for you to sit under the mango tree and to enjoy the fruits. Enjoy the blessings. I like the house of God. Why? The blessings. I want more blessings. But you got lots last years. I want more blessings. What are you doing with them? I'm receiving them. What are you doing with the blessings? I'm collecting blessings. You come to my house, I give you a whole room of blessings I collected 25 years. What have you done with them? I'm not just having to go Africans. I'm just crazy today. I I could put it in other language if you wish. But the point is, yes, receive the relational presence of God 
Hear the word from heaven. You are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. Get the affirmation of the father into your spirit and then open your spirit. You see what happens is a hurting, damaged heart is a closed heart. That's one of the things that blocks you more from this open heaven. Not that heaven isn't open to you, but your heart is closed to heaven. Why? Because you're hurting, a hurting heart. It's a closed heart. You say, well, let God heal me, then I open my heart. No, you've got to open your heart for the medicine to come in. Your kids, you want to give them some cowpaw? Open wide. Open wide. Come on, come on. Here's a marshmallow. And then in comes the... You've got to open. You've got to open your heart. And you can do so in the presence of God because he, it's a safe place. It's a safe place. And when your heart is open, you say, God, I want more. I want more. 